0: that's not how reality is when you get older you know, when you're in 10th place and almost getting a job you didn't get the job you were the 10th best candidate sorry but you know here's a trophy no you didn't get the job you didn't you didn't get anything creates this privileged mindset where oh i did something i'm supposed to get it
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into the Pungu Spective. We are your host, Michael. Eric. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, he's one of my favorite people, Dr. Ishaya. Uh, Dr. Ishaya was my dental school roommate for all four years, which I thought was pretty rare. And he's just one of those people who gives me a lot of positive energy and kind of always felt like an older brother to me, but at the same time, a really good friend.
0: First and foremost, thank you for Michael and Eric for having me here. Um, I've listened to a previous podcast, uh, actually a couple of them, and I, I like some of the questions you guys ask um, and the way you guys go about it. It's very easy, very straightforward and kind of fun. So it's open for everyone to just talk and have a good time.
1: So today I have two major topics and the first one is about fatherhood or parenthood. I wanted to talk about this because among my close friends, you're the very first one that I know to have a baby. So I want to kind of start off by just kind of reflecting on how, you know, your own parents were and then kind of move on to how you feel now as a parent yourself. So I guess my my first question is, was your parents like growing up or your father specifically? You know, was he like a strict parent? And then what are kind of your favorite things about your dad growing up? You know, and what are some things that you think maybe he could have done better?
0: I am your first friend, you said, that's that's been a father?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Wow, you're making me sound old. You guys, <laughs> I'm, I'm only a couple years older than Michael, that's it. I'm not, I'm not an old man. <laughs> <laughs> so the first part of your question was uh, my father, how he was with me? Yeah, yeah. I would say I had a close relationship with my father. Uh, it was really hard, actually. In the sense of he was working a lot so growing up I was born and raised in Iran we left to Austria when I was seven and came into the United States at eight so during all that transfer all those experiences all that you know immigration I did not see my father too much because he was just too busy working and trying to take care of everything But when I do see him, I was always looking up to him. I knew he was working hard and trying to give us a better opportunity. And as a child, it was hard to understand the struggle of moving here. But now looking back at it, I think it built a lot of character for myself, my brother, and our family as a whole. We're a lot closer. The struggles we went through as children and as my parents did, um, we definitely have a lot of love and support for each other. Even when I went through undergrad, dental school, Starting as a dentist and being a father, I noticed they're always around and they're always supporting us. And that's, in my mind, the support was always us doing things together. So even when we had our first baby, they were like knocking on the door, dying <laughs> to come inside. You know, my wife and I were like, we want st- to just be alone. This was, you know, two-day labor, we're tired. But they're, they're just excited and it's just that support. You know, um, that's what I had from my father. Uh, my mother as well, but mostly my father. Um, he, he didn't stay home much because he was working. But when he was home, I I did look up to him. Mm. Yeah, he worked really hard. He still does. He still works six days a week, but it's it's admirable.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure.
2: Uh, does he like uh, still mind working six days, or does he like talk to you about like wanting to retire?
0: No, so he wants to work six days. So recently yeah. we just went on a trip to Orlando and. My wife and I were like, we have to bring the grandparents. They don't do much. That was my, my parents' first time in an amusement park in their life. And my dad is nearing, you know, 60. So he's never been to an amusement park. So we're like, we have to bring him. And we're like, okay, let's fly him out Thursday night because he works so much. And then he actually got in a fight with my mother. He's like, you're making me go. I'd rather go just for the two days on the weekend. And my mom's like, no, we're going for three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it took him a whole day to finally say, okay, fine. Because he wants to work, and that's that's the problem. He's a workaholic. It affects his life. It definitely affects his marriage because sometimes my mom wants to go out and have fun. But he's like, no, we have to work or I have to work. Mm-hmm. It's a family business. They make removable dentures and any removable prostheses that are related to dental care. So my mom does like the billing, does some of the paperwork. She does a lot of the communication with the doctors. So it's a family business. So when he's working, she is too. But on the weekends, there's no doctors working. So he's just, you know, in the lab with uh, another employee and working. So that's when my mom is free.
2: Gotcha. So with with my dad or with my mom, like, there was a point a couple of years ago where I thought I was making enough money that maybe probably not my dad, but maybe I could ask my mom to retire. That's nice. But like, both of them. As I talked to them, it it was hard to like get them to change their lifestyle, work lifestyle. But the more I like really probed, I realized like it was something that I was like try to force it on mm-hmm. them than them actually like wanting to retire or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You would think they'd be tired of working and they want to quit. But to a certain extent, like I think it just gives them like a purpose mm-hmm. and uh, keeps them in routine and. Like, if I asked them, like, so what would you do, like, if you didn't have to work? Like, they genuinely are, like, are pretty stumped <laughs> what they want to do. And I don't really want to, uh, like, um like force it on them, like, as far as, like, figuring it out, you know? Like, I'm sure maybe down the road, they will just kind of come to them. Yeah. But in the past, if they're, like, keep working like that, I-, I used to feel bad or, like, I used to want to change their mind. And now I kind of let that go. I was like, okay, like, if that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. like... You can do that. Well, do your parents have hobbies? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So one thing I can think of uh, is uh, like they're both in this hiking group. So like once a week, hmm. they're pretty uh, consistent about it, even if it's like bad weather. Like they'll go as a group and like uh, they pick a trail and they basically go all day. Like they leave at like 7 a.m. and come back like 6 p.m. Like they do the hiking, socialize, have dinner, and then come back. Wow,
0: that's impressive.
2: My dad has his individual hobbies. Like, I mean, he reads, uh, he drinks tea, things like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just kind of like let them be instead of like try to assume or like convince them, like, oh, this is what you want. <laughs> I'll just like let them like uh, make their own decisions. Although I will say, like, uh, it seems like your mom and your dad are kind of in a different place. Um, as far as it, your mom wants to take a little bit more of a break and your dad is, feels more compelled to continue yeah. working, which I, I can understand like why.
0: My mom was a stay at home growing up. So she was used to not working. But mm-hmm. once we came here, um, she had no choice but to work. Mm-hmm. So she went to college. She got her degree. She was, you know, she was trying to be uh, a culinary chef. mm but then once my dad opened his business they started working together and if she doesn't work um, honestly i think the business would be crippled just because she does so much work that my dad doesn't understand how to and if he brings someone in it would be out of high cost
2: mm-hmm. yeah so well, she deals with like billing
0: yeah so she deal- she deals with the billing she deals with some of the ordering um she do- she's really good communicator with the offices um, nice. how to take care of all of that. Yeah. And he works with about 40 dentists. So it's yeah. pretty, it's, it's a big project.
2: Um, I do have my, like the three intro questions Oh yeah, yeah. Um, that I just kind of start with most guests to get to know them better. So, I mean, think of it more like an icebreaker, bro. Neil, and okay. let's see what we get. So start with the first one, a recent purchase around a hundred dollars that significantly improved your life anything come to mind
0: uh just work related or personal life
2: no anything yeah anything it doesn't actually have to be a hundred dollars yeah but but like as like a basically some monetary purchase that you did that really like oh like improved your life or
0: so everything in the last couple months i've purchased was for the baby (laughs) definitely improved my life with the baby (laughs) um but i'm trying to see personal life let's see
2: yeah, we never consider these things. Like once the baby's out, it's not really about you anymore. <laughs> I know, right?
0: <laughs> um, I'll just uh, I'll just pick up something recently. So for the baby, he was really fussy at night. Sometimes he would wake up and he would just be scared because we believe it was just like really quiet. So we got some white noise. It's called mm-hmm. the Hatch, and we just played the white noise in the background all night while he's sleeping. And that's helped so much. It does not disturb my sleep. So, <laughs> so that's important to me.
2: <laughs> like, where do you uh, get these, um, like, product recommendations? Do you go, like, YouTube or ask your friends?
0: YouTube and TikTok have been really big help. I mean, every baby is different. Some of it has worked, but most of it, to be honest, has worked a lot. Uh, we also took a class called Taking Care of Babies. Mm. Um, that helped us a lot as well. Actually, that class was $100. We paid for that <laughs> class about two, two months ago, and it was the best thing we've, we've done so far with the baby. Gosh. I actually have to sit there and take notes. I feel like I'm back in school, but with babies now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> was that like one class or like multiple classes? Or
0: <clears throat> So it's just a program, oh. and it tells you um, how to go through sleep schedules, day schedules, how to feed, why sometimes some babies are crying, sometimes they're not, um, how to suit them, just a lot of different tips. Uh, From zero months to up to two years—that's that's how it goes. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of videos, a lot of um, articles and essays. So she's so it's this lady. Her name is Kara. She's married to a pediatrician, I believe, um, and she's just been um, a nurse and was worked with kids. She's really good at it. Now she goes all around the country teaching on how to help with baby fussiness, coliciness. Um, and how to really work on their sleep now our baby's sleeping about 11 hours a night wow <laughs> yeah
2: knock on wood but you know when i was every time i took a cpr class there's that section about infant cpr and i'm mm-hmm. like oh, man I, I better know this really well you know for the day that i have a kid Um, uh, if i if i were to like ask you to perform like would you feel confident on oh, my own kid, I'd be scared <laughs> because remember from
0: that class they tell you it's okay if you break the ribs. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I would be scared of breaking my kid. My son will never, will never let that go if I break his ribs.
1: <laughs> uh, he won't know. <laughs> he's I'll too tell young. him when
0: he's older.
2: <laughs> it's like it is what it is until it's it's your kid, yeah. right? All right, moving on. Uh, second question is: uh, I'm actually going to give you an option between the two, so. Between are you lying to yourself about anything these days and what would your younger self not believe about your life today? So I'll go with
0: the second question. So my younger self, if I go back to high school, I will not believe where I am, especially with my career and my life. I was a little bit of a troublemaker in high school. (laughs) Uh, My mom herself was surprised that I was trying to become a dentist once I got to college so I definitely am surprised of where I am if I going back to high school days, college days, that's my other younger self. I'm very happy. I did achieve what I wanted to achieve before 30. I wanted to be um, a dentist, I wanted a family, and I wanted my own house. So those those few things are what were my goals when I was an undergrad, and I'm very happy with reaching those goals. Obviously, there are, you know, higher set goals that I never got to, but I'm still happy with where I am.
2: I'm going to say, if your dad was in, like, the technician business, I'm sure it doesn't seem completely foreign. Uh, Why was she so surprised?
0: My grades. I had Uh, a solid (laughs) 1.6 freshman year of high school.
2: Oh, man, we can cut this out. Are you sure?
0: (laughs) It's it's okay. Senior year, I had a 4.4. Wait, is that (laughs) possible? uh just that oh, yeah. one year yeah just that one year yeah. not
2: my not my cumulative my cum was 33 4.0s three. don't mean anything anymore they just keep inflating the grades every year yeah there's
0: like <laughs> AP and there's honors I got a 5.0
2: last year. I'm like what <laughs> I said well what did you want to do when you're like in high school
0: so in high school I, I did not have a clear path I was just having fun um I was always out I was always hanging out with my friends you know, I would come home like at 9 o'clock and sometimes 10 o'clock. My mom would be upset. You know, I, I just didn't I didn't have a purpose. I was just there for the fun of it.
2: Any of those uh, friends still like kind of with you?
0: Uh, a couple of them, yes. I still see them around, yeah. Nice, nice. One of them uh, I actually ran into. It was really sad. Um, it kind of hurt seeing him. He's, he's basically homeless. Oh. He just got involved with drugs. He was my friend in middle school. Mm. so we would play basketball together all the time but it was really hard seeing him you know where he is in life today
1: that kind of brings me to what i wanted to ask you because having gone through that experience and you turned out okay do you think there would be things that you would not be happy about you know with your son or your baby uh, if they were doing similar things that you were doing in school back then yeah i
0: definitely smack him (laughs) because some of the things i did (laughs) So you
1: wouldn't be okay with uh, it? Like you wouldn't let him do his thing or you would try to stop him?
0: Yeah. So some of the things like uh, I would I would sneak out, you know, obviously yeah, yeah. My, my parents, they wouldn't know if uh, I saw my son sneaking out, I would definitely grab him from the ear and <laughs> drag him back inside the house. <laughs> so things like that. Yeah, definitely. Like sometimes I would tell my mom, oh, I'm going to Starbucks and with a couple of my friends, instead I would go to like some house party at like 16. Uh, you know yeah, so yeah. that 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 obviously is is not healthy relationship in that sense mm. um my parents were very strict mm. so that that was the reason usually when your parents are really really strict it's it could be a good thing but sometimes the kids will rebel mm so that that's what happened but but once my mom realized you know I was going out with my friends a lot and she got to know some of their parents she was more comfortable mmm So then I wouldn't lie as much once I was 17, 18. But yeah, I would definitely sneak out. I would go TPing people's houses. (laughs) So yeah, if my son did that, I would definitely get him in trouble.
1: (laughs) Ouch. All right. Yeah, uh, I guess uh, moving back to the topic. So, you know, now that you have your first baby, what has changed the most in your life? What are these new moments that are like the most difficult about being a dad? And what are some things that kind of make you the happiest that you're like doing now?
0: So my biggest change was I used to think parents that had a thousand pictures of their kids and were obsessed with, with their kids. I thought they were annoying. I was like, there's <laughs> no way you, your phone needs a thousand pictures of your kids. There's no way you, all you do is just hang out with your kid and just be with your kid. Right. But now that I'm a parent, that's all there is to my phone. You know, so when someone says, oh, how's your day or what are you doing? Right away, it's about what I'm doing with my son. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm spending this weekend with him or, you know, I'm going to take him out and we're going to grab coffee with my wife and just be with the baby. Or I'm just going to sit at home and just take care of him. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest perspective change. I used to think those parents were annoying. So I might be one of those annoying parents now. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, baby definitely has changed my mind. On life in general, I used to think sometimes your career could bring you a lot of happiness and the success you want from your career or the success you want in life in general could bring you a lot of happiness. Mm. But definitely a baby trumps that. So that the happiness that you get from having a child is definitely more powerful, more effective than the career itself. Mm. So... I think having that love, it's just the second the baby's here, my heart just felt different. I didn't even know this baby and automatically I loved him before he could even, you know, say the first word or before he even looks at you or anything there is, you know, right away. I was against changing diapers. I told my wife, I will not change a diaper. Don't think I'm going to help you change a diaper. (laughs) And after the first day, I'm like, nope, I'm going to change a diaper. I want this baby clean. So I sit there, clean his butt, change his diaper, and she's like, "Why are you taking so long?" And I'm like, "No, I'm like, no, this is fun. Like, I, want to, I want to make sure he's clean." So after about, the, I think the third diaper, um, so I'm sitting there cleaning, taking my time. He peed all over my clothes, <laughs> and I was, I was like, "There's no way I'm taking this long again." So from now on, I'm changing his diaper quick, just because I don't want to get peed on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just that that mindset changing of me, well, you know, um changing his diaper or i'm like oh let me feed him you know i'll get the bottles like no no no, let me do it let me do it because i want to do it just holding him and feeding him things like that i didn't think i would be interested in i didn't think i would find fulfillment in Mm -hmm. but i definitely do it's those little moments that are very effective and just make me happy with the baby Mm -hmm. (laughs) so when when i come home from work right away like i say hi to her for like a second and i go to the baby which which isn't nice, but I just haven't seen him. I, I talk to her while I'm at work. I don't talk to him, you know? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes a patient cancels and I've like twenty minutes free time or whatever it is. I'll summer Himmer. Oh. No, I'll face <laughs> I'll be like, let me see, what is he doing? She's like he's sleeping. I'm okay, uh, like, let me see him. So like, she can't <laughs> see anything. I'm like, Oh fine. <laughs> uh, but I, I I hope this uh, this amount of happiness is is found by everyone. It's it's just really nice. It really is. Um, like I said, I used to think those parents were annoying. Yeah. Um, not until it happened to me, I, I understood why they are the way they are. Mm.
1: Well, I feel like, you know, Brunillo the type who's like very ambitious. And even now that you have your son, you're still working really hard. Even on your trip this time, right? Your main thing was to go to a CE and then you made it a kind of vacation. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And. It made me think that, you know, how you talked about kind of big plans that you want to do, like about eventually kind of owning your clinic or even setting up like a kind of implant system that you wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that would change if you realized that like that was like siphoned off a lot more time that you have to kind of spend with uh, your son or that's still kind of your biggest thing that you want to fulfill?
0: No, it's still definitely one of my biggest things I want to fulfill. Um, yeah, yeah. Someone told me this, I forgot who it was, but it really, really stuck with me. They said, don't forget you're a father, don't act like a mother. So nowadays, what he was saying was, a lot of dads try to be moms at the same time. But don't forget, as a dad, you have to take care of the family, you have to be the one that the son looks up to once he's older, the one who's making sure everything is taken care of, there's a roof over your head. There's, you know, uh, finances are situated. Um, if anything is needed emergency, you're there to help. Right. So being there is important for the for for the baby itself. But I really, really want to be more of like a superhero for my for my son. So when kids say, oh, like, who's your favorite superhero? You know, there's Spider-Man, there's Batman. But the best answer is, is, is the father. Like oh my, I, my dad is my superhero, you know, like the one who's taking care of us, the one who's making sure things are going well. If anything happens, to always be there for us. Um, yes, he's not home twenty four hours of the day, but he makes sure everything is good with us, you know. So I do, I I still will be home in that sense, but I won't give up my own ambitions and my own dream, because at the end of the day, it's gonna benefit. The family. And the dad could teach the kids some competitiveness. Like, you know, you, you play a sport, you miss your shot. The mom says, Oh, it's okay, honey, next time and and the dad says, It's okay, we'll practice and we'll get better. Right. Hmm. So I I truly believe in the sense of like competitiveness is healthy to a certain extent, right? So if you're playing a competitive league, you're playing to win. And if you lose, it's okay as long as you're learning from it and you just strive to keep getting better and better if you truly enjoy the sport or whatever it is.
1: I do think that, you know, mom can also fill a role where your wife is working. Your kids can look up to your mom too. But I agree. I feel like there's definitely something there that's a little bit different. Recently, I just saw a patient, like this three-year-old, and he was just not having it. He was being bratty. <laughs> and <laughs> then, uh, you know, her his mom was just doing everything in the chair. You know, he was she was like trying to hoax him and you know tell him all these like nice things and like rewards and stuff and then at the end like he was not having any of it and she was like all right we're gonna facetime your dad <laughs> and then he suddenly all of a sudden kind of like chilled out a little bit he still wasn't having it but as soon as his dad arrived at the office he just like chilled out and i was like what is going on here <laughs> like is it just like you know there's like a little fear there or like he you know wants to you know show respect to his dad i just thought it was pretty pretty interesting
0: yeah that, that's a good point um it could be fear and you're right it could also be like oh i want to show that i could do my best in front of my dad yeah
1: yeah yeah i feel like it was a little bit more on the what you said like he wants to kind of impress his dad too
2: and Michael, I would have thought for me, like, I think your mom is way more the disciplinarian.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, maybe the Asian cultures or like the Chinese culture is a little flipped. <laughs> I would
2: have to say it's my mom for me, too. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, he, he, he's not saying
2: disciplinarian. He's more like, um, yeah. like a male role model. Yeah,
1: yeah, you yeah. know,
2: uh, I think we can you can definitely make an argument that these days uh, we do like very strong and respected male role models. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, nowadays the
0: kids get away with a lot. Like, I mean, we see it in our when we're working. If, if, if I don't know if Eric, if you see kids or not, but they're so misbehaved. They're screaming. They're yelling. <laughs> the moms like, oh, it's okay, honey. It's it's easy. It's just a shot, you know. <laughs> um, it, it just let them go away with so much. But if it was you know if if it was me in the chair, my mom would be like, sit down. You're getting this done. Um, it's gonna be fast, and then we'll leave. You know, it's straightforward. Now it's just coddling them and protecting them and, oh, don't get hurt. It's, yeah. it's a little different. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That, that's what that is one of my concerns. If, you know, when I, or if I ha- do have a kid, you know, back when I was going into like elementary school, at least, like when I was living in Korea, right? Like the teachers had a lot of respect, mm. you know, and back then we did have like the, the corporal punishment. And, you know, every once in a while you get like the the rich folks be like, my son said. Yeah, but usually, (laughs) like, um, you don't really get that. It's like um, if, you know, if your teacher made you upset or punished you and you talk to your parents about it, your parents are just going to tell you, well, you know, did you do something wrong? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I guess, I mean, it's, it's all the news that I read. I don't, you know, I'm not in the environment, but I imagine if I were to go to school now. Like, you know, am I going to have a lot of parents who are going to be overly want to be involved in the curriculum trying to dictate what every little thing that your their kids getting taught and, mm. you know, the whole participation trophies for everything, um, walking on eggshells, never talking about mm-hmm. anything real. I do get concerned about that. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming the way that you talk, you'd be against like, you know, Congratulations to me. You got tenth place and you're still yeah. a winner. <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm stuff. not all for that. Because in, that's not how real that's not how reality is. When you get older, you know, and when, when you're in tenth place and almost getting a job, you didn't get the job. You were the tenth best candidate, sorry. But here's you know, here's a trophy. No, you didn't get the job. You didn't you didn't get anything. So it's just all how yeah. it is. You know, it's it creates this privileged mindset where oh I did something I'm supposed to get it I was talking to my sister-in-law about this she's a fourth grade teacher she said something that because I asked her I was like what was the most shocking thing in the last you know two years of you teaching she said when I tell a child we are going to call your mother or your father they tell us to go ahead we don't care wow in school if the teacher told me that they're gonna call my parents I would cry I would throw <laughs> I would throw a bit I say right. please don't call him. don't For do sure. that For and sure. now she's wow. like almost every single child says go ahead call him here's wow. your phone here call him and she just can't believe it she just can't believe it
2: yeah this is where I have like a little hot take about corporal punishment is that <laughs> I understand why it probably shouldn't exist because the the if it does get abused it can be quite catastrophic right but you know when i was growing up the the fear that the the punishment was always a possibility definitely like kept me in check mm-hmm. you know and i haven't like received it many times in my life but like just the, the fact that if i misbehave enough you know that this is a possibility um <laughs> yeah. kept you, keeps you in check you know and You know, if I go on Reddit, right, Reddit is pretty, like, uh, pro, like, teacher as far as, you know, increasing their wage and, you know, um, spreading awareness about more respect for teachers in America. That's good. And so you see um, uh, videos of, like, where students are literally, like, physically assaulting teachers or just really disrespecting them. And I can't help but think, like you know, <laughs> if there was a harsher punishment for this, like I don't think they would behave so nonchalantly mm-hmm. towards their uh, teachers.
0: Yeah, because what they, what are they going to do? They're going to suspend the child. The child's going to go sit at home, which is probably fun for them. They'll play their video <laughs> games. They'll do whatever they do at home. Yeah. And then they're going to come back a few days later. They didn't learn any. There was no discipline there. And then they come up. Okay, let's say the parents yell at them. Okay. If it hasn't worked for the past 10 years of the child's life of the parents yelling it's not going to work in a, on a three-day suspension
2: yeah i mean i i i do have a lot of sympathy for like if like a like a teacher shouldn't get assaulted yeah um yeah, sure. that really breaks my heart anything else michael
1: i think that with the punishments at school even if it's not extreme i think it's effective because most kids will feel embarrassed you know like knowing that like they're they did they something wrong and they're getting kind of punished like publicly among their friends. And I think it doesn't even have to be that extreme for it to work.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Eric, what I kind mean, of father would be? Huh? What kind of father would you like to be if you want to be a father? Eric, um, <laughs> I would definitely want to be a good male role model. And I do use the male, word male specifically. Uh, as in, uh, I would expect my child to learn from not what I say, but more from what I do. So I would feel very compelled to lead by example. I think there are like fundamental skills in life, like speaking, reading, writing, mathematics. So I would want to just put him in an environment where it's conducive that he or she can learn all those things. But yeah, uh, at, at one point uh, I would like to, you know, give them uh, more autonomy than I, I received when I was younger. Just expose them to many, many things. So, yeah, for teaching fundamental skills, leading by examples, and exposing my child to different uh, lifestyles. What do you mean by lifestyle? So, you know, one thing I thought about is that when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of entrepreneurs in my life. You know, everybody, uh, you know, most of my relatives, my parents, they were all like employees. And the general sense that we always had towards entrepreneurs or businesses or startups is that it's always so risky, they fail, uh, you'll never get out of debt, you know, just like negative um, connotations. Mm-hmm. But especially once I came to America and, you know, you start making money and you start seeing how uh, the tax codes really <laughs> are not favorable if you're an employee here.
0: Mm-hmm
2: it made me realize like, oh, you know, like, uh, yeah, they do fail most of the times, but the upsides are really big. Like when you make it, you can really make it, you know? No ceiling, right? So yeah, nobody nobody talked to me about the upsides of being an entrepreneur, only the downsides. And looking back, I do wish I had more, not necessarily role models, but just even people around me, at least like my, my relatives or my friends or their parents, who've had successful businesses because I think that would have motivated me more or at least like just give me inspiration to try something a little bold. Um, I had like a, like just like tiny flickering of that desire um, when I was younger, like in high school, college, but uh, I never, you know, really went all in on that. And of course, you know, it's ultimately it's my responsibility, my choice, not that I didn't do it, but, I sure wish like I would have been. Sur- I, I surrounded myself with more of those people, because I think I would have wanted to go for it. You know, maybe like you know, because I'm just in a lucky place that like, you know, what is the worst thing that can happen to me? You know, I I have parents who love me, <laughs> so like the worst thing that would have happened to me is like, you know, I'm moving with my parents and maybe take a job that I don't like for a couple of years. Uh, if whatever I want to do failed mm-hmm. so for me i felt like the downsides would have been not very bad but like if i really gave it my all and see if i could make something out of it the upsides would have been great and you know I can i, I know I can still do it you know I still think about it um what would you like to do yeah i mean i would like to do some sort of like um, some sort of more scalable things you know so I know as a dentist, you can have like, you know, you can be one of those like business people who like owns multiple practices and be more involved in the managerial side and you can be very successful. So that's one way that you can scale a practice of dentistry, right? Yeah, definitely. The clinical aspects of dentistry, you can't scale. Like, Like even if you're the best, you can't just see like 10 patients at once, right? And you can only work like what, eight to 10 hours, you know, maybe. You know, it is a pretty grueling job. So, um, as opposed to like like um, like a very nice like digital product, you can scale from one copy to ten thousand copies, right? And the uh, the cost of replication is um, is basically zero with you know the current leverages that we have. So, yeah. something like a like a nice digital product where. Low inventory and, you know, overhead costs that's, like, really successful, so I can really scale it. And you will be rewarded very handsomely for something like that, you know. So, I mean, that's why you see, like, dentists making courses after they become successful, right? Because, like, you know, like an online subscription to, like, um, you know, Frank Spear, for example, or John Coise's products, you know. But, I mean, it's like twenty grand a pop, or a couple thousand dollars uh, a year, you know. So, and it, it's he's it's not like if he sells it to thousand people, he's doing thousand times the work, right? He's yeah, already yeah. done. It's, it's like recorded,
1: right? and people can just listen to it.
2: Yeah, like so. Like I think I would have had it in me to make like a magnum opus of like a digital product, and see if I wow. can, um, you know, make it scalable to people. Obviously, I want it to be a good product. I want it to be useful, but. Uh, and to this day, I do I do think about like how can I indulge in something that I think is more scalable that can be more passive. I do have like a tiny little thing going on, but like something like a little more profitable. So, if the most important thing is make sure
0: your wh- whatever you're trying to create, make sure it's solving a problem. I, I come right, from right. a family that that mm-hmm. has a lot of businesses. Um, that's started a lot of businesses that have you know created multiple different types and brought them together Have failed have succeeded the most important thing is as long as you're solving a problem and it's a good value you will definitely sell it
2: yeah no, i totally agree um i have took like some of you the know, marketing courses that i really enjoyed and like one of the most important points they make is don't fall in love with your product. So make sure it's like a product market fit. So it's a product you like, but also the market wants it. And there are ways to test your product so that you can confirm that this is something that people actually want and are in demand before you actually like, you know, start manufacturing or start making. Like you don't want to be that guy who like tucks himself in the corner for like 10 years, create something and find out it's like nobody actually wanted in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, I definitely definitely agree with you. I I would want it to be useful, uh, valuable.
0: Yeah, as long as it solves the problem, you'll definitely sell. Easy. Like all these classes, they solve a problem. There's all these general dentists who want to get better at... what? Like, for example, I'm taking an implant class, right? I do not learn in dental school. I don't have a mentor. So what am I doing? I'm paying thousands of dollars going to this class. Why? Because it solves the problem that I have. And my problem is... I need to learn implants, and they have a solution. We teach you implants. How do you do it? You have all these five, you know, weekends throughout the year. You come here and we teach you, and that's how they make. You know, I I think there's probably like easy two hundred people in that class, one fifty right. to two hundred, and wow. at a price tag of anywhere from ten to twenty thousand, you're you're looking at a lot of money, a lot of money. Yeah. It's only five weekends, yeah. Yet it does have 30 years of experience you know hundreds and thousands of hours of research thousands of hours of work you know big team involved but still you're right you know you scale it that's it
2: right yeah so that's kind of like in the middle like you still get that personal touch and that's why it has a premium uh, tag right like a Kois course courses mm-hmm. uh, five figures because you do get that personal attention from John Kois and the hands on experiences uh, as opposed to Spear, which is, like, if you just take the online course, right, then uh, it's much cheaper, but it's because it's, you know, it's all online videos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll have to think about, like, where I want to be, like, something a little bit more passive, but, you know, less price tag or something I want to put more attention to with a higher price tag. But, you know, uh, either way, like like you said, it's, uh, do people get value out of it? Yeah, if they feel like they get value out of it. They'll help you pay you.
0: <laughs> so. Don't forget, the creators of Invisalign were not even dentists. Mm. They were just two business majors from Stanford that came over to UOP with their idea and created Invisalign.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were not even, the the two guys that created Invisalign were not even dentists.
1: Well, they. I mean, they, they created Invisalign, but like Clear Aligner, like orthodontics was already done, right? It's just that they created that, that um, product. I, I think
0: they or... were the ones who, the, yeah, Clear Aligner was just in the talks, but they were the ones who made it mainstream. They were the ones who made it easier for people to buy and taught, uh, given by general dentists. This You know, this treatment was provided by general dentist mm-hmm. versus a specialist. Now once a general dentist does it it's a lot it's you know it's a lot more scalable for Invisalign itself versus if it was just a specialist.
2: Yeah, I'm sure that question I'm sure it came from business-minded people. The question of, you know, these braces are like metal and they're hard to take out, hard to clean. Like is there anything we can do to make it more aesthetic, easier to clean? Like I'm sure those kind of questions came from more business-minded people. Yeah. So UOP is yeah. the one that was behind the research. Uh,
1: well, actually, this isn't like a business, right? This was more of like a project. I remember you're working on like, you're making like a puzzle with like kind of trying to teach your community like the language.
0: Oh, yes. Is um, that a,
1: was that supposed to be a nonprofit project or was, was that supposed to be eventually like a business kind of thing?
0: So it, it wasn't a business, but uh, so basically, um, our community lacks a lot of educational toys. So I was just trying to create some ed- educational toys with my brother, which we did. We found a- someone on Alibaba. They printed them out. We gave them all the designs. They sent them over. We ended up getting 500 of these puzzles that show a picture of a lion and then say the word lion in English. When you mm-hmm. flip it, it says the word lion in Assyrian, Aramaic. So we did that. Unfortunately, we still have, like, I want to say 300 of them. Um, but we're just ending up, we're, we'll just donate them to all the different educational systems. Instead, mm. what I did was last year, we started a STEM uh, summer day camp. Mm. Um, one of my friends and I, we started it here in, um, in, in our community. And that was really successful. We had mm. about 75 to 80 kids each week for two weeks. So we had about 30 volunteers. Um, that was really successful and it was really good. It was the first one of its kind in our community, mm-hmm. so I was very happy, I was very proud of what we achieved, we're doing mm-hmm. it again this year, um, so that's more fulfilling because I always had this mindset where I have to give back, mm-hmm. no matter where I am in state in my life, you know, if I just started as, as a dentist, but I still want to find a way to give back, I have a family now, I'm, I'm, I'll have a six month old by, by the time this, you know, camp starts again, I still want to put my time into to camp and give back to my community. Um, yeah. That's very important to me. So I still have the same mindset when it comes to that.
2: Yeah.
1: nice, nice.
2: So you said like, uh, I think I heard this from Michael, but like you define your community not as a, like a border of like a country, right? It's more like, um, like if I asked you like, how would you know if someone's a Syrian? <laughs> I so what you say.
0: the only way to know someone's Assyrian is just their lineage. We don't have an Assyrian country anymore. We haven't had one for a very long time, thousands of years. But we did have a region up until um, the 19th century. Once the 19th century and turn of the century happened, that's when they started drawing borders in the Middle East and us and some other uh, minorities were just left out. So we don't have an f- actual country with a border we just have our culture and our lineage as who, who we
2: are. Can you give me an example? Like you said, like the way they talk, what food they like, um, their political views on certain things.
0: Yeah, so we have our own language. Um, it's one of the oldest languages in the world. It's this, it's an Aramaic, now known as the neo aramaic Assyrian language. It was the same language that Jesus spoke when he was here during his time. There's still a Bible... That's written in Aramaic from the time that Jesus was here till today. So we still have all that. Our church um, is our biggest uh, backbone now. That's the only thing that's really, really supporting us. There are a lot of other clubs, uh, organizations around the world that still helps our com- our community, that still helps Assyrians around the world who need the help, especially the Middle East. Uh, but our, our church has been the backbone for the last 2,000 years, keeping us together. And basically, wherever there's a Assyrian church, there's at least a couple thousand to tens of thousands of Syrians there. And that's the reason why we ended up coming to Turlock, because my parents, when they were moving here, we came to a place where there was an established community. You know, it's mm. it's hard for parents, you know, to go to a city that they don't know language, they don't know anyone, versus now if I get up with my family and go to middle of Missouri, I'll be fine because I know the language. But if I want to go to, for example, Russia or if I want to go to China or if I want to go to South Africa as an Assyrian, what we usually tend to do is find other Assyrians in those communities and then we'll move there. So we're borderless. We don't have a country. Our regions were northern Iraq, southern Turkey and northeast Iran. That was our region. But after World War One everyone just dispersed because of the genocides that were happening in the middle east to the armenians the greeks and assyrians um and that's when we came to the western countries before world war one there were barely any assyrians in the western countries we really stayed in the middle east
2: that's very good that's nice um yeah i i do think about like how can i extend the sphere of my selfishness and so there's me and then there's my parents right and then there's my friends and i'm still like searching for like a community something beyond my family and friends where i feel that uh, personally connected i haven't found it yet but um seems like you did well it makes it easy for us because of our religion that's, right, what, right, it, right. that's what really yeah. brings us
0: together for the most part is our religion mm-hmm. yeah and most Assyrians, i want to say majority obviously not all they usually are conservatives. I truly think that's because of our <laughs> Middle East culture. Middle East as a whole, it's it's very conservative, very strict. Eric, were you born here?
2: Uh, no, I was born in uh, Korea. Korea, okay. Yeah, I lived there until I was like nine, and then that's when I moved.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, very similar to me. Michael, you as well, you went back for elementary school, right?
1: Yeah, I was born in Taiwan, and then I came here. At, yeah, same thing, like fifth grade.
0: Yeah, we're all, we're all immigrants here. <laughs>
1: Yeah. No, but I do think that's something I, I've told Bronil repeatedly before that, like, how I'm just very fascinated and that I think it's really amazing that I feel like your community and culture is very tight knit. I told them many times about how, like, when I went to their wedding, I was just kind of just amazed that every single person seemed to know, like, many, many dance moves and everyone just knew it. And I feel like you guys are, like, keeping the traditions very well, versus at least for me, I feel like here, I don't really know much about like our Chinese traditions very well, but I feel like you guys really preserve it pretty well.
0: Yeah. It's pushed out our throats.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to get a little deeper, we can, if you're down for it. Let's do it. So I have experience with Mormons, mm-hmm. just like, interacting with Mormons uh, and in general, very nice people, very uh, tight community as well, I would say. And if you're in the community, things are pretty good. Uh, you get a lot of support, everyone you know, just kind of tend to generally agree on most things, it's easy to get along. But if, uh, if you have a character that kind of puts you out of the community, then you're pretty much, uh, I don't know if excommunicated is the right word, but you're basically out. And it felt a little cruel to me. So to give a concrete example, it's like, um, like if, you're, if you're gay, for example, and is there something about your particular community where if you have a certain beliefs or mindsets or characters that could potentially oust you. So like, I think the benefit of a very tight community is that, you know, you get that a very personal community, but I would think some of the cons may be like, everyone knows everybody's business.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely.
2: Or to get into the, like to be part of the thing, it's they're more strict on what you have to be compliant with. So I think I'm I'm sure religion is one of them. Like I'm sure everybody in the community has pretty similar religious beliefs. I would want to know, like, if I'm a liberal or have liberal perspectives about, let's say, abortion or same-sex marriage. Anything that you think uh, would make it difficult to be part of that community that you're willing to share.
0: When it comes to politics, I think it's it's free for all. No one cares. No one cares if you're liberal, conservative, in the middle. What they really care about to be honest, is who you marry. That that's that's what a lot of the pressure comes from. Oh, they say, Oh, like to marry within, marry within, marry within. And when they do see someone marry without, there's they you know, they'll always say, Oh, like, you know, this this person's son or daughter married out and it's looked down upon because they say now you're destroying not only your culture, you're destroying your nationality. Because it's very easy. We come to America. You know, My son's going to grow up and say, oh, I'm, I'm American. I was born in America. Mm-hmm. But if my son was born in Japan he, and he walks around and he says, I'm Japanese, everyone's going to say, you're, you don't look Japanese. You're not Japanese, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's that's one thing about America where we have that luxury to say that, and that's what makes America so great in, the, in that sense. Now, when you're an Assyrian and you go to another country and you marry another Assyrian, you have an Assyrian child, it's fair to say, oh, yeah, I'm a Syrian born in America. I'm a Syrian born in Japan. But once you're married out and build a family that's mixed, and then the following generation, it just goes away. You know, you're you're destroying your nationality. You're destroying that lineage. You know, for thousands of years, it was kept within, mostly because of religion, because they are either Christian or Muslim in the Middle East. It's very hard to convert either way. So once they come here and they marry another Christian that's not Assyrian, they still will say, oh, yeah, they're not Assyrian. They're destroying their lineage. They're destroying their nationality. So that's, that's Interesting. the most pressure that, w- that would come from the community. Now, some still do it, and they're still active in their community, and they're still happy with what they do. But it, there, there is that difference. Um, when it comes to religious, I know Assyrians are atheists. To some extent, no one cares. I know Syrians that, you know, convert to Mormonism, Judaism, whatever it is. They'll convert out of the religion. But as long as they're Assyrian, a lot of people are still fine. So one thing you mentioned was the gays within the Mormons, right? So the mm. same thing with the Syrian community. In the beginning, if an Assyrian son went out or a Syrian daughter went out and said, I'm gay or lesbian, it was looked down upon a lot in the 80s and 90s. Nowadays, there's much more Assyrians coming out and saying, oh, we're gay you know, or we're lesbian, Mm -hmm. then it's much more accepted. Um, The only pressure that's still there is who you marry.
2: Gotcha. Do you have experience interacting with like younger Syrians, like Gen X, Gen Z Syrians?
0: Definitely. A lot of that experience came from the camp because some of my volunteers were teenagers.
2: So how do they feel about, uh, let's say, like the idea that if you marry outside the lineage that you're Uh, quote-unquote destroying the lineage like what do they feel about this
0: yeah so most of them they'll say like they want to marry an Assyrian because it's been kind of engraved in their head right
2: so you think indoctrination Um, has part oh yeah
0: definitely definitely and the ones that do say like my boyfriend's white some of their own friends will say oh like why not an Assyrian or their cousin's Parents, relatives, right. older friends will say, oh, why not an Assyrian? Um, that That's still there. But there are still teenagers that will rebel and they'll still do, mm. you know, if they, they want to marry out, they want to marry out. Some teenagers don't like the idea of the community. They're like, we don't care. We, we want to we wanna live our own life. We don't care a sense of what we owe to the community. Right, so, right.
2: I mean, it is a pretty exclusive co- <laughs> lineage, right? It's not like a Muslim where I can like re- recite the Quran and then be converted, right? Like if you're not part of the lineage, then you're just you're just not. So
0: yeah, so there's only a million of us that they're estimating in the world now. Mm-hmm. So it's a small, small. And so it's only getting smaller. They're saying in the next five, six generations, the only ones that will speak Assyrian will be, you know, the clergy from the church. They're, they'll be the only ones that'll be speaking it. Um, a lot mm. of a lot of people born in the Western countries or even the Middle East now, they, they barely speak it. They barely because there's no use for it. For example, my son will grow up. I'm going to speak Assyrian, but I'm definitely going to speak English with him. So gotcha. the, the use is just the demand is not there.
1: Will it be important to you? You really want him to date or marry Assyrian as well? Or will you be pretty like free about it?
0: I used to believe it's very important to marry an Assyrian. But my life experiences showed me that's just not right so if my son doesn't want to it it's up to him
1: hmm. does your wife feel the same way
0: yeah she feels the same way her brother married out oh right you know, so
1: that's cool
2: yeah oh uh, yeah thank you for sharing sharing that i mean i will say personally uh i haven't <laughs> i don't think i have that kind of feeling towards like marrying within koreans
1: at all <laughs> <laughs> How about you, oh, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it certainly makes things easy. You know, I think in terms of like interacting with your relatives, yeah. your extended family. And I, don't see, I, and I think it's because I don't
2: have that kind of community experience. Right. The one that you really got to enjoy or benefit from or be included in. Mm-hmm. That's probably why I don't have that kind of allegiance. But no, it's interesting to um, hear that kind of viewpoint.
0: I, I feel like Koreans are a tight bit from what I've experienced.
2: I would, I agree. You know, I don't I don't disagree with you on that. I think I'm kind of a outlier.
0: Yeah. I, I definitely saw that.
2: In dental school. In dental
0: school, <laughs> right? The Korean Mafia.
2: hey <laughs> They ain't no mafia, dude. They probably <laughs> in the bottom third. Okay, so
0: listen, so there was the Korean mafia that they were always together. And I would look up to them because they got their work done. They had a lot of fun. They did it right. Then I was explaining this to my girlfriend at the time. And I was saying, this is what I see at UCSF. And she's like, you know what? I'm in pharmacy school at UOP and we have a Korean mafia too.
1: <laughs>
0: she's like, they get all good grades. They go out and have fun. They go to their bar, like Korean barbecue and hot pots. <laughs> they do karaoke. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's cool.
2: Yeah, see, but it's, it's only cool if you're in the thing. You know what I mean? Eric
0: never got invited
2: uh let's see i mean we can get into it if you want Um,
1: (laughs) i feel like you probably got invited but you didn't want to (laughs) go
2: so there was an element of that and i definitely had people who were with me within the group and people who were not fucking with me at all uh because i wouldn't do some of the things that it's like you know it's like it's like you know if you want to be a syrian there are these things that you really kind of be in line with and there's always that in any group so the sense of like speaking in a different manner to people who are older than you. Mm -hmm. I wasn't with that (laughs) because I just just spoke English.
0: (laughs) Did you do the karaoke?
2: Uh No. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Yeah. But like, yeah, there were some things that I just like didn't want to do.
1: Well, I'm sure like the people in school, uh, even though they spoke Korean, they also speak English too, right? Like you. So when they talk to each other in school in English, they still address each other like, in a different way they won't be like they won't call each other by name no, I, yeah, or- yeah i mean like you like it's not like
2: oh that that time or that one time you didn't call me by like it's not like that but it's it's, it's the overall general attitude and like um understanding that there's like a hierarchy Wait, what, so like, the group? It, it's yeah it's not ex- well like yeah it's not exposed within like one interaction but like i just like never comply with it
0: that's a true mafia <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: All right, I got. I guess I'll have one last kind of random one. But so, uh, Bronio, for, you know, you raising your kid, when do you think you'll give them access to, like, internet and social media and, like, their phone?
0: Man, so I believe in the old way of raising a child. Um, one of my rules is no TV till two years old.
1: That's pretty early. So
0: nowadays, there's Coco Melon. There's you know all these other shows on Netflix TV, like YouTube, and they put a one year old there and they start watching, right? So uh, we, have a, we have a really strict rule of no TV until two years old. So if they do want to watch any TV, it will have to be after two. Like I'm talking about when you know, how, like kids, they grab an iPad, they grab an iPhone, yeah, and they yeah. just watch YouTube. So no, none of that. Um, And if they do, once they are two, it's limited. When it comes to cell phone, like having their own cell phone, I don't know. I'm saying this now, but I would say no earlier than middle school, even though I was in high school, but times change. No earlier than middle school, but the phone would have restrictions on some of the app you could download. So if it's an eighteen over app, they can't download it. If it's an eighteen over website or sixteen over website or app, they're not allowed to download it. I'm definitely against that. Unfortunately, a lot of parents don't know about those restrictions that they could put on their phones, and then they see an eight year old, I mean, an eighth grader or seventh grader downloading dating apps. You know
1: um oh wow is that a thing it's definitely
0: a thing it's definitely a thing a lot of parents are struggling with it because they did not know about the restrictions and they're too young for that they're too young to see that they're too young to communicate with someone on a dating app and there's a lot of predators out there that will target these kids and it's happened um we've definitely seen it so tomorrow and i have seen it in our community with a couple kids so oh wow maybe because of our experience we know about it but still that's definitely one when it comes to freedom of how like they want to go out. I just think it depends on the child. Teenagers sometimes a sixteen year old is more mature than eighteen year old. Sometimes a you know eighteen year old is still immature. So it just depends on the child. But I would definitely want to build a relationship with my child. I don't believe in the fact that I'm gonna be best friends with my son. I I, I don't think that's the right thing because I I do want some sense of respect. I don't want my son to look at me and say, okay, I have to respect my dad. Um, Sometimes when you're too much of a friend with your child, that's where the talking back happens. That's where the no respect happens. So I still think um, you could build a good relationship, a strong relationship with your child, even if you're not like best friends in the sense of they could tell you anything. And I still want that line of respect. Like I am your dad, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's important to me. I think that does uh, open an interesting qu- uh, point about indoctrination, just in the technical sense of the word. Because um, I I would want to actually participate in some indoctrination, you know. So like, so I'm trying to find like timeless principles that I think like any kid would benefit from, uh, like the golden rule, for example, do unto others what you do unto you, or things like that. Mm-hmm. But there are certain things like certain principles that I think are important, but like, uh, Like then I would be like, well, is this for me to decide upon my child? Or like, should they maybe learn it on their own? Or maybe they have a different thought. I mean, your kid's how old? Four months. So like between now and, you know, like I say three to four, like you have a lot of power in being Mm -hmm. able to influence your kid that that will um, stay with, him, like for potentially decades, really.
0: They say once the child is seven, that's where you influence the most. Until seven.
2: Oh, okay, gotcha,
0: gotcha. Yes, yeah, so some psychiatrist said if I see a seven-year-old, I could tell you what kind of child they'll turn into.
2: Okay, so as far as like you know uh, what you're gonna do during your teenage years, I I don't think you're gonna have a lot of control. <laughs> but from now to yeah, let's say seven you would have a lot of control. So I do want to know like if you thought about like are there like what are some timeless things that you think are like safe, like this I want to indoctrinate my kids <laughs> because I'm sure this would benefit him no matter what. Uh, versus if you can think of anything that like this is really important to me, but maybe it's not my place. Like you ever thought about those?
0: I have. Something that's really important to me is making sure they learn respect uh, making sure you respect your elders teacher clergyman or someone's your friend's parents make sure you respect them um, a sense of um, self-control you know sometimes things happen and you have to understand how to you know control yourself for example if, if you're upset you should know how to control your feelings to a certain degree obviously you're a child but i feel like those kids that can't control themselves they're the ones that get up, get in trouble in school and outside of school. Also, purpose. I would like for them to know they could do whatever they want as long as they're doing it for a purpose. Cool, cool.
2: I have one more question. Yeah. You? So from the husband slash father category, between you and your wife, since the kid hasn't been involved, anything that kind of changed within your own relationship, like between you and your wife, as far as like, I don't that's, know, do you have any desire to question. like turn like maybe i don't know keep it fresh quote-unquote or yeah something that's not so kid-centric obviously you have to be but like between just between you guys
0: yeah you definitely will see your wife differently i have a lot of respect of what she went through i love her differently now than i did before because i also see her as someone that's you know raising my child or raising our child it's a different type of love that you'll gain. We still think it's important. You know, we still go on dates. We still try to, you know, keep things fun and, you know, have our movie nights. We still try to do things like that. But it, it's hard. I've actually gained a lot of patience for her. You know, before she upset me, I would be impatient. I would just, you know, right away just be upset. But now it's a lot different. I, I have a lot more patience for her. That's well, how your change.
2: kid's going to look at you for that too, so that's good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. It's hard to get in a fight when there's a baby just sitting there. <laughs> so I just <laughs> look at the baby, then I start laughing. Even though I'm upset, right? I look at the baby and yeah, I start yeah. laughing. Um, and she's the same way. She's a lot more patient with me. Our relationship has definitely changed since the baby's
1: been here. Do you think it's like because of the baby or because, you know, like how you said that, oh, now you see her differently and you respect her a lot more of what she went through?
0: Um, it's a mix. Um, also, the sense of responsibility. We, we actually have a human that we're responsible for. Hmm. And we realized some of the fights didn't even matter at the end hmm. of the day. Here's an example. So a couple of days ago, we were at my cousin's house and I was on the table just on my phone while everyone was talking and she kicked me. She's like, get off your phone and i'm like okay fine so i put my phone away i'm like you know you know mingling talking 10 minutes later passed by i get a vibration i grab my phone i go back on my phone and she got really (laughs) upset because this is my family by the way it's not like she's doing this because it's her family she flicked inside of my ear really hard and i was so frustrated i looked at her and my ears ringing and i'm looking at her i feel like i have cross eyes because my ears really ringing.
1: Oh, that's like a slap. Oh, Yeah, it, it, was, it was a
0: hard flick. So all I, I don't I don't know what to do at this point. There's like six people around the table. She has pasta in her in front of her. I just grabbed like five, six pastas. I lift them up and I look at her in her face and I'm like, okay, I have to control myself. So I threw them back into her plate. And when I threw them back and splashed on her clothes. And then she looked at me and I looked at her and we both said sorry at the same exact time. So if this was, you know, like two years ago, our fight would have lasted a good like two, three hours. But it's a little different now, and I, I truly think because of the baby, it's a different type of
2: love. Man, like among your friends, like what's the ratio now between friends you you have who are uh, who don't have kids versus who do?
0: So your friend group changes. <laughs> you'll end up hanging out with friends that have kids more than you'll end up mm-hmm. hanging out with friends that don't have
2: kids. I assume. More. Yeah,
0: so I would say it's an even ratio, one-to-one ratio. Oh,
2: that's still pretty good,
0: actually. <laughs> yeah, even ratio.
1: No, that means that we need to start having kids if we want to hang out with <laughs> Yeah,
0: Yeah, but before it was obviously not a one-to-one ratio, right? But once we had the child, it's just easier because they understand, like right now, she just put the baby to sleep. He's going to sleep. That's it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, the
2: way you talk, like, it's like, I feel like I wouldn't be able to stand any of my single friends anymore <laughs> and then they won't be able to stand me
0: no we still make time we still make time for our friends um, cool. Tamara definitely has um, a lot more friends that don't have kids but her best friend has a baby that's one years old now so we like she talks to her a lot and it's just easier to communicate and easier to understand each other for sure <laughs> for sure
1: so when do you realize that you wanted a baby and that you're like ready for a baby.
0: To be honest, it was an accident.
1: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> we, we
0: wanted one, but we had a lot yeah. of weddings. My brother got married. Her brother just got married. My cousin yeah. got married. Her cousin got married. So we, we wanted one. We wanted to do it afterwards, but it was an accident. Um, my game was weak. So <laughs> 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 we didn't even know. So a week before we found out, she was at a bachelorette party with my sister-in-law for a bachelorette. And she was having fun. And then she comes back. She's like, oh, man, I'm so sick. I'm throwing up. And then and one day passes. Next day passes. On the third day, she's like, I'm just going to take a pregnancy test. My friends are telling me to take one. And little do you know, she takes it positive. She takes another one positive. Takes another one positive. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, you're three for three. Yeah, I was like, stop buying you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a false reading after three, right? So that's when we found out. We knew we wanted mm. it, but the timeline was just a complete accident.
2: Well, oh, I mean, I think that's the key part, though. So you wanted it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So. We wanted. We wanted a baby, so it happened. For your sake of your kid, I'm going to dub that to happy accident.
0: I'm telling you, it definitely changed our relationship for the better. The the most important thing, if you want to get married, do it to build a family. If you don't want to build a family. There's really no point in getting
2: married. Interesting. Uh, follow-up question. Is there a point in dating
0: them then? There's definitely a point in dating. That's the trial run to your marriage. Okay. And depends on how you interact when things are stressful. That's how you know if your marriage will be successful. It's very easy to have a good relationship when things are easy. When mm. things are hard, when you're in a stressful environment, work, schedules, uh, whatever it is, a fight. Based off how you handle that, that's, how, that's what we'll... Determine the success of your marriage. A lot of people think, oh, this person makes me happy because we're out on dates, we're going out with our friends, we're having fun together, but it's actually how you are together in a stressful environment.
1: Mm, that makes me think. <laughs>
0: Shut up, Michael. Angela's good. <laughs> <laughs> Angela will help you more than you'll help her.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's the best advice I could give.
1: That is good advice.
0: Anything else, guys? I, I definitely had fun. This was a great podcast. I did not feel like it was uncomfortable. It was actually very fun. Thank you for all the questions and thank you guys for answering my questions. I missed our I missed our, I, I missed our, our days when we sub- all PUBG together. Even oh, though it was super too. late, we had class the next day, but it was definitely worth it. I hope to hopefully come back on this in uh, podcast sometime in the future.
1: Yeah, yeah, whenever you're free. Well, thank you, Roniel, for joining us today. Uh, That's all we have for today. So you can find more fun podcast highlights and post pod clarity on our Instagram at Punguspective. Peace.